Things of Faith with Pastor Scott Hawkins. Welcome to the second conversation in our confirmation program at Ascension Lutheran Church. We are going to discuss the Gospels and the ways that we can understand or come to know some certainty about the story of Jesus. We talked last week about the resurrection, and we talked about how it is so critical. I think that naturally leads to a conversation then of, well, how do you know? How do you know that Jesus rose from the grave? How do you know it's not just a story or a hoax or a myth in one of those kind of ways? So I want to spend the next two weeks talking about that in Um, two different ways. This week, we're going to talk a little bit more kind of head knowledge, things that we can grab a hold of to say it's not just a random idea, but it is something that has stood the test of time for a reason. It's something that happened in history. And then next week, go with a more faith-based approach as far as what does it mean to believe something without absolute certainty, so without knowledge. So have a conversation about faith. I also use the word like weeks. I'm kind of thinking about it that way, but I know this might not be just week after week is how you're experiencing it. So let's uh, just move forward through this with these two being a package in some ways, one being more directed towards our head, the other more directed towards that uh, mysterious thing, that miraculous gift of faith. So pointing to the head, this conversation starts with thinking about how we know anything about the ancient world. Well, two primary ways. The first is through the documents that have survived And we can read and we can see the things that were told, the stories that were told, the things that were happening. Um, We have all kinds of documents. We have bills of sales for different things. We have army documents. We have letters between leaders. So we have a lot of different documents that are there. And, And just to kind of put a thought out there that we can remember, we have a very different experience with the printed word than they would have had during Jesus's time. The printed word would have been incredibly rare and very expensive. So there were no copy machines. There were no printers. So if anything was to be printed, if you read the printed word, it was because somebody hand wrote that. Someone hand wrote that and then they preserved it because those were important things. Uh, Making paper was a process. Having the ink made was another process. And also, just the ability to know how to read and write would be nowhere near as broad as it is today. So the fact that we have documents preserved from this time, in some ways, is really pretty incredible. And the amount of documents preserved is also pretty incredible. So their experience of the printed word was very different. So we have that. We have the documents the word that has passed down through time, while also we have found some things through archaeology. And so we go and explore, and people dig, and they find all sorts of different things. And as they do that, it confirms more and more of the things that we know. One of the things to remember about archaeology is archaeology can't disprove anything. So um, because we haven't found it, 
doesn't mean we won't find it, but it can confirm things that we do know, and it can confirm things that we're curious about um, as we see them. And so it's a good tool for us to look to for confirmation, but not to go, well, since we haven't found it, that means it obviously never happened. So how then do we know about Jesus? Well, the four gospels are the starting point that we can use to say these ancient documents tell us the story of Jesus. And are they reliable? Now, there's a lot of different tests that they do when looking at historical documents. And they ask the document questions and then see how it stands up. And so if something was written a really long time after the death or the event actually happened, that document would be seen as less authoritative. Um, so that's one of the things that they do. We also um, find out how many copies we have of it. So was it something that was just one copy and we randomly stumbled across it? Or do we have copies of these everywhere? Now, when you use the Gospels and you put those same tests on the Gospels that you would on other ancient writings, you find that the Gospels stand up way, way above the other writings. So we have thousands and thousands of copies of the New Testament, and we have only a couple copies of an ancient historian named Josephus or um, copies of Socrates or Plato's work. And we only have, you know, handfuls of copies of those where it was thousands of copies. Also, the really interesting thing is, is that the Gospels were written around a generation to a generation and a half after Jesus walked the earth. So the tradition is, is that Mark was the first one written. Most people agree that Mark was written sometime in the 60s. 60 AD. Then Luke and Matthew were written. Those were written in the 70s to 80s, so they were after Mark. They also were using Mark, so Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. So Mark is short. Uh, Mark's favorite phrase is kaiuthos, and immediately, immediately Jesus is doing these things. Where Matthew and Luke are taking that story and they're adding things in from Luke, we're pretty sure, uh, interviewed a lot of people to get the story of Jesus. Matthew was one of the disciples and adding and bringing things into that story. Then the Gospel of John is the latest, probably written in the 90s, and he stands apart um, from the other three because his gospel just feels so radically different, has so many different um, emphasis and stories. It's really seeing the Jesus story from a different corner. Uh, you know, the illustration is used, imagine you were at a car accident and you saw two cars collide and the policeman went to each corner and asked the witnesses on each corner what they saw. Well, the accident would be the same, but the, at the, um, the way they described it would be different just because of their vantage point. So Matthew tends to be a more Jewish gospel. Luke tends to be a gospel focused on the poor. Uh, John is a later gospel um, telling this this focused story, trying to dispel some heresies that had already started. They all have their points um, at doing and what they're doing. And so as we see the gospels get written or as they are written to us, 
we see that those time frames are really pretty close to when Jesus walked the earth. And that's important because there would have been people still alive who could say, no, this story never happened. I was in Jerusalem in that time, especially with Luke. He's very specific about dates. He likes to uh, put the reigns of different emperors on those times. And so you could say, no, 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 that never happened. I was there and Jesus died. He never rose from the grave. Or I mean, especially you think about the Jewish people. Jesus rising from the grave would have been incredibly bad business for them. So if there was a story getting around that this Messiah rose from the grave, it would behoove them to, to disprove that, to dispel the rumor. And so these gospels, these stories of Jesus actually being written down. And again, writing is so hard to do. It's not just sitting down at a computer and banging stuff out, but it's taking the time. It's finding the right things. And then it being copied and copied and copied and used by different people. These things are really quite remarkable, and they're all relatively early. And as I mentioned last time, a group of persecuted people. So these gospels are being transmitted, are being passed around amongst persecuted people telling the story of the risen Christ. So we have our documents there. Um, and before all of those were Paul's writings. So even before the Gospel of Mark was published, we're pretty sure Paul was already dead. Um, and so he wouldn't have seen that, but his letters were all written before that. So somewhere between you know 40 and 60, Paul's writing letters to churches about Jesus. You can just see this momentum. And again, pointing back to that question of, well, what happened then in Jerusalem? We have these documents. They're written very early. They could have been contradicted. They weren't contradicted. Uh, the Jewish leaders couldn't pull Jesus' body out of the grave, which leads us to ask the question, why not? Oh, well, the Christians would say, he's not there. He rose from the grave. And so we have to go back to that, what happened? What happened at the resurrection? Was that the the moment that changed everything, or was it something else? Was it a hoax? So we have those things, but then I think there's also something else that's very cool. We have documentation from outside the Christian writings. So there could be a temptation to say, yeah, I hear you. We have all of this internal documentation, but of course, they were going to say that. Those are the gospel writers. Those are the Christians. They want you to believe. Um, they, they're telling the story of Jesus, not just as a historian, but as somebody who wants you to believe he is Lord. So there's going to be that temptation to say, okay, sure, sure, sure. But those are just the gospels. And what else do we have? Well, good thing you asked. We have some outside sources that point to Jesus. There was a uh, Roman official named Pliny. Um, I believe it's Pliny the Younger. Uh, well, there's two. There's Pliny the Elder and Pliny the Younger. And he wrote a letter to the Emperor Trajan in 112 AD. And he wrote this letter asking his uh, friend, mentor, somebody else for ideas on how to handle the Christians. And so he um, says in his letter, Having never been present at any trials concerning those who professed Christianity, I am unacquainted not only with the nature of their crimes, 
or the measure of their punishment, but how far it is proper to enter into an examination concerning them. Whether, therefore, any difference is usually made with respect to ages, or no distinction is to be observed between the young and the adult, whether repentance entitles them to a pardon, or if a man has been once a Christian, it avails nothing to decease from his heir. So he's asking for advice. What do I do with this group of Christians? Um, and they would be a problem for the empire. Why? They are not going to submit to the lordship of Caesar. So the the major Christian problem for especially the early years was that they believed Christ was Lord, and that dominated who they were. And so they wouldn't look and say, yeah, we're going to do what the Caesar says, or we're going to do what the emperor says. Why? Because Christ is Lord. You're not Lord. And that could be seen as a group of people who would cause political unrest. So Pliny writes and says, so what am I supposed to do with them? And he basically says, these are the things I've been doing. I've been making them um, profess their faith in you or in um, the Roman government. I've been making them deny their faith in Christ. And in doing that, um, if they are willing to do all those things, I'll let them go. But it turns out, and he kind of says, it's, it's very hard to get them to give up this belief that Jesus is Lord. And that would stand in line with what we know of the early church, because the early church was very, um, took a long time to have people be baptized and come into the faith because they would just on the front end say, look, if you accept and um, believe that Christ is Lord, it could mean that you are martyred, that you are killed for this faith. And so before you get baptized, begin to, you know, we think about Jesus and he has um, this great line about considering the cost, right? Before you go and you set out plans, you would know that you have enough money to build the building. Or he uses the illustration of buildings and also of um, an army going to war. You'd know you could win the battle. So before you step into this, know what you're getting into. So the fact that Pliny finds it very difficult to turn Christians away would make sense. Okay, so we have him, and then we also have um, a man named Tacitus, and he wrote about the fires um, of Rome that Nero would blame on the Christians. Again, uh, last time I mentioned uh, Emperor Nero, he was a real nasty guy, and he um, would blame the Christians for the burning down of Rome, which most historians now think he did in order to expand his palace or to expand kind of his um, footprint in Rome. But what he's writing about, what Tassus is writing about, is about the way that Nero persecuted the Christians. So we have um, this writing of Tacitus. We have another writing of a person who I started to say their name, Cetinius, S-E-U-T-O-N-I-U-S, who wrote in 121. And then even before that, we have a Jewish historian named Josephus, who wrote about Jesus. And, and he wrote a lot more about John the Baptist, but um, he wrote about Jesus. And so he was a Jewish historian trying to tell the history of uh, the Jews around the first century AD. So not only do we have the Gospels, which are sources, really all we need, because they stand up against all the other ancient sources. But we also have outside groups who are looking at this group of the Christians 
and going, what are we supposed to do with them? They're causing political unrest. They're, they're causing these different issues. How should we punish them? If they stop believing in Christ, is that enough? Or once they've done that, are they proven to be unreliable Roman citizens? So we should murder them anyway. And again, uh, Rome murdering people, crucifying people is just what they do. It's not um, a big thing that can be put in front of acquittals and all of that. It's just, okay, go and you're dead. Uh, so pretty easy thing for them to do. And so in the midst of all of that, the gospel is being presented. The church is growing. The four gospels are written. Paul is out starting churches, planting churches, writing letters um, to people who believe in Christ and trying to help them to grow and tell this great story about the love of God. Uh, later, we have John, who wrote his gospel. We have the, the book of Revelation. And then after that, and these are not um, books that are in the 66 books of the Bible, but we have um, outside church fathers in the second century and the third century who are all teaching and trying to really flesh out what it is to be a Christian because this is all so brand new and Jesus entered history and he died and he taught and what does it mean now and, and trying to understand and and build up these ideas uh, you know the doctrine of the trinity which we'll talk about later is not a doctrine that you don't find that word ever in the scriptures but it's so important it's so important for us to understand the character and nature of God and so those things need to be discussed and fleshed out. And so we have these really important books, and we have these outside sources, and all of them are leading us, again, and this is about our head knowledge, to be able to go, somebody named Jesus walked around first century Judea. Somebody was teaching and preaching in that time. And so how then do we answer that? How do we um, struggle through that? If we're going to throw away all this information, uh, I had a professor who told me, you know, if you are willing to throw away the Gospels and the um, historical story that they tell, you have to throw away most of your knowledge of the ancient world because the Gospels are better sources than what we have for those pieces of information. And so we're kind of left with this position of wondering and um, questioning, okay, again, what happened? Are we willing to trust these these gospels? Are we willing to trust these sources? Do we have um, outside sources? Yeah. Are we willing to let those build up our faith? I think so. And so, as I said, I want to kind of tap this in two parts. The first being a, a head knowledge section, trying to um, give us some things that we feel like we can put our feet on and uh, really wrap our brains around. And then also just have that mysterious conversation about the nature of faith. So we're going to do that next time. And uh, hopefully as the um, families, you have listened to this and then you'll listen. Well, the adults have listened to this and then we'll have the families listen to the next one. There's a couple of minutes just the kind of conversation starter. And I hope and pray that you can use this information as you engage your family with a conversation about Jesus. So blessings. I look forward to this journey together and see you guys soon.
Things of Faith with Pastor Scott Hawkins.